The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Good morning. Good morning, Pat. How's it going? It's going very well. Now, let's talk about therapies today and that life-saving antibody cocktail that Donald Trump was given. It was very experimental at the time, but it probably saved his life. It probably did. Yeah, it was certainly a factor. Of fact, this is an antibody made by Regeneron is the company. And we spoke about this before a few times, actually. And it's an antibody that targets the spike protein. So it's a bit like, you know, if you get a vaccine, you make your own antibodies. But of course, you can use antibodies as therapies. And this was tried on Trump. Lots of trials were run. It's being used widely, actually, uh, all in America and in places. And in fact, even in Ireland, it wouldn't surprise me if they're using it. But the MHRA in the UK have now fully approved it for use in the UK. And it's a remarkable drug many ways it'll decrease hospitalization by 70 percent which is a great effect really and then secondly of course to stop severe disease and and you know death from happening so it's really seen as a big advance the trouble is it's quite expensive it's um in america it's two thousand dollars per patient for instance but now that it's approved in the uk pat uh, it'd be great if it was in ireland as i say if the if our own regulators approved for use as well now, at what point should it be given? Uh, because Trump, he was able to walk out to the, the chopper to go to the hospital. So uh, he wasn't, if you like, on death's door at that stage, although he he wasn't a well man. That's right. Well, as ever, Pat, prevention is better than cure. So the vaccine is your first option. But if you if you can't get a vaccine or maybe you're immunosuppressed or you've cancer or whatever it is, this is the second option. But it's very important. The earlier, the better. Because as soon as this virus gets a foothold in your body, it's quite difficult to stop, you know, and the great phrase we use is you're trying to close the stable door after the horse is bolted. But if you get in early, then they see the most remarkable effects. So what's happening really is the antibodies are mopping up all the spike proteins on the virus and then the virus can't penetrate your lungs. So basically it stops the virus from getting into your lungs. But you're right, that's very important. They're talking about using it in, say, care homes. If there's a case in a care home, give everybody a shot of this antibody, for instance, is one possibility, you know. Uh, but certainly the earlier, the better is the real, is the real message. And, and you're right, Trump got it very early on in his disease. Now, they're, they're mixing uh, different antibodies. What's the rationale behind that? Yeah, there's two antibodies in this product. It's called Ronapreve, by the way, is the trade name. Now, the other thing to say is other companies, Lilly, GSK, they've all got antibodies, by the way, and they're all racing now, to, which is great because it's a competitive path. But they often combine antibodies just in case a variant crops up that dodges one antibody. There's a second antibody in the mix, you know, and then you lessen the chance of the person not responding to it. And this often works in drugs, by the way, a combination of drugs can 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 work better, you know. So Ronapreve itself has two separate antibodies, which means it will, and it will work against any variant. It looks like, which is the good news as well. Now you says you say it's expensive at two grand a treatment. You'd imagine when it was an experimental product that it would be expensive making it in limited quantities. First of all, is it easy to make, and if so? Would it become cheaper with um, mass use? It will be competition. That's why it's good, Pat, to have at least three now coming down the track, remember, so between different companies that will create a competitive environment that affects price. They're expensive to make, though. I mean, the, the vaccines are much cheaper to make than an antibody. But in Ireland, we've loads of our biopharma plants are making it. Antibodies are used for many diseases already, you see. So Herceptin is an antibody, for example, that's used for breast cancer. So you know, companies are well used to making it. Just the ingredients and the protocol to make them are a bit more complicated. But what's amazing about it is the U 
US are using it widely. In, in the US, of course, the disease is running rampant. Uh, the US have ordered 1.5 million doses to give to people who are at risk, and it's free. So in other words, the US administration are paying for this antibody for people in, who are in severe case in the US. And of course, in the UK, the NHS will pay for this. So in other words, it won't cost anybody anything. The governments are going to pay for it because it's so important. This is, this is literally saving people's lives, you see. So, so again, uh, the cost wouldn't matter to, to the patients so much. Obviously, the health service, it can be a huge burden if these things are so expensive. But, but our prediction is that the price will come down. Now, it reduces the prospect of hospital admission by about 70%. And you look at the cost of hospital bed. I yeah. mean, a few nights in a hospital and you've paid for the treatment. Absolutely. You know, yeah. if you can keep someone out of hospital. Yeah, exactly. And that's the health economic argument, hugely important. And then remember, it'll more than likely stop long COVID as well. And that can be a burden on the health system because of people have long term symptoms and so on. So you're right, ultimately, there could be a saving. So the price, but the, but the comparison to a vaccine pack, which costs $20, this kind of thing, you know, so, so there is a big price differential there. So you wouldn't be using it as your standard. Vaccines are still your primary goal. But remember, Pat, we are seeing more people in hospital, as we know, you know, and lots of countries. And now this drug is there to help those people in hospital and decrease the death rate. Over Overall, so it makes an awful lot of sense. Now, the second therapy we're going to talk about today is proning and an Irish doctor at the heart of it. Yeah, very important. But this, we discussed this before. Remember, it must be, we've gone through most topics over the past year or mm. something. But proning was, was suggested over a year ago. And what this simply means is putting someone on their tummy. And it was first invented, if you like, in 1976 by a nurse called Margaret Peel. She gets the credit for this with people with respiratory distress. They realised if you put someone on their tummies, they breathe a bit more easily and the lungs are under less pressure. And that was always an idea for COVID. And it had been shown to work a bit, you know. But now, a really good trial bar Barbara McNicholas is the doctor's name. She's in NUIG. She led it, which is tremendously an Irish-led investigation in The Lancet. And it was six randomised control trials in Canada, France, Ireland, Mexico, and the US and Spain. You can imagine the scale. That was huge, you know. And lo and behold, proven in the clinic to really be a benefit to patients. And it's 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 tricky to do. And, and huge nursing skill, by the way, to prone someone. It's called awake proning, by the way. These people aren't sedated, for instance, you know. But if you put them on their tummies, they're seeing a benefit. And it seems to ease the breathing a bit you get more oxygen into their bodies. And, and, and Barbara herself, I saw her interview yesterday actually in the, in the Independent, she said it'd be good for poorer countries who can't afford ventilators. You know, this is a way basically to get more oxygen in, which is what ventilators are trying to do anyway. You know, it's a very simple thing. Just put someone on their tummies and, and the longer you stay in your tummy, the more efficacious it is. So quite a simple measure there can, can be widely adopted really. Now, the next is the possibility of a pan-coronavirus antiviral drug. In other words, all coronaviruses um, might react to this. Yeah, there's another one. And I, th- I thought, Pat, we should cover these this morning because people are still worried, aren't they, about hospitalisation rates and so on. The- these are the things that are going to help people in hospital. Never forget, it's not just about vaccines. And this one, uh, now again, several companies, it's so competitive, they're all onto this. But Pfizer have got off the blocks first. Now, there's a company, Pat, that we keep mentioning because of their vaccine, but, mm-hmm. but they're first off the block. It's an orally active drug and basically it stops the virus replicating in your body. So it's a direct antiviral, if you like, and it targets a thing called EMPRO. Now, EMPRO is an enzyme the virus has and it needs the enzyme to make copies of itself. And lo and behold, this drug is able to stop that enzyme. And you may know HIV protease inhibitors. They're called proteases, by the way, these class. HIV protease inhibitors. HIV is a protease as well. It works for HIV. So everybody knew you could get an inhibitor of this sort of process and then it would work. And now they've got really good data. Now, they're in the middle of their trial. 
So we've got to wait, obviously, to see what the massively double-blind placebo gold standard trial is being run at the moment. But a lot of excitement of this, because not only will this work against um, COVID, any variant it'll work against, and any coronavirus, which includes SARS and MERS, and even ones that cause the common cold, because they all share this um, pro, this target is common to them all, you know. And so therefore, this is seen as another real prospect to treat people who've, who've got the virus on board. So the idea that as someone who is suffering from MERS or SARS or the common cold or uh, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, um, this would work against all of them. Yeah, exactly. They're on the one family and this is the common feature that every member of the family has this MPRO in the virus, right? And so therefore a drug that blocks that then because it's shared among all the coronaviruses would work against it. And it was first developed, by the way, against SARS-CoV-1, the one that causes SARS. Pfizer made a drug for that and then realised, oh, we can tweak it a bit now and make it even better and it will work against SARS-CoV-2. And they've proven that in animals and in various tests. What's important about it is that they've gone through the safety phase that's safe in humans. That's, you do that next, you check for safety, you know, and now they're embarking on this massive big clinical trial. And you're right, but if it works against um, COVID, remember it'll work against any variant, so our fear of variants begins to dissipate. It's orally active, so you can take it as a tablet, like, like we do with HIV, of course, and AIDS, you know. And then ultimately, Pat, if it's really sort of shown to work, if you have a few sniffles from, any, from a cold caused by coronavirus, you can take it as well. So finally, Pat, there may be a treatment for colds, which we've never had and we've been looking for for decades, you know. So again, a lot of our hope. And then, as I say, several companies are developing similar drugs, because drugs are, companies are very good at targeting these kinds of things, you know. So a lot, a lot of progress there. And how expensive might it be? Well, that's the because, next question. Because, you know, if you think of a cure for the common cold, clearly there would be a huge market for it every winter. And, um, you know, if there's a huge market, it should be cheap. Exactly. Yeah, initially it'll be expensive as usual. The huge development. I mean, the trials cost hundreds of millions to run. It still might fail, remember, because they have to go through these very rigorous trials, as we know. You know, they're at that stage and, and they spend loads of money for fails. They've got to recoup their costs. So initially they're inclined to be a bit more expensive, but you're quite right. And then importantly, again, by competition, they're all doing it. Roche are doing it as well, for instance. They're making protease and they were, so again, in the, in, in, in the, you know, in the, in the two, the three year period, the price will definitely come down. Now, uh, some of the questions coming in from our listeners. Can you ask Luke about this? My four year old tested positive early last week, and according to the HSE tracer, she can be out and about again on Friday. So that'll be what? Early last week, we're talking about 10 days, 11 yep. days. Will she be any more or less contagious from Friday as she has a play date with her friend? No, this coming be, weekend. No, because young people, a child that age has a fantastic immune system. She will have made a huge amount of antiviral, you know, in her own body. Her immune system can kill the virus, you see. And we know how long the virus lasts in the body. So by the time you get to that time, the virus will be gone. That's the way it is. Unless you've still got symptoms, of course, then you might be a bit more careful. You know, you've got to watch the symptomatic thing. But no, the virus runs its course like a cold or a flu, you know, and then you get over it, don't you? And go back to normal and that'll be the situation there. Uh, even though a PCR test might show you still have shreds of the virus, shreds. you would not be infectious. That, yeah. That's exactly right. Now, uh, Ed wants to know, uh, what's the story about the COVID vaccine from India, which is DNA-based, he says? Yeah, that's a good question, actually, because they're developing DNA-based vaccines. Now, what they are is, you know, the um, Pfizer and Moderna, they're injecting RNA into your system, and the RNA makes the spike. You could also inject DNA. Now, the DNA will make RNA, by the way, anybody who's done biology will know that dogma, DNA makes RNA, and then you make the spikes. In other words, that's another option, and that's being tested in various ways. It was tried with the flu vaccines, actually, to inject DNA a bit like we've done with the RNA, and that seemed to show some some efficacy against flu. So it's yet another strategy, and that company will own the IP, you know, if it will have the patents on it and so on, so that will be another potential new vaccine.
Yeah, I'm just wondering why you do that. If you can inject RNA directly, why would you go a step back, if you like? Well, if it works and you own it, you see, then you'll have your product, you know, it's another okay. product to make a vaccine that works. If they show it works, you see, it'll be just as feasible as the other approaches, really. Uh, can fully vaccinated people socialise in anti-vaxxers' homes? What's the level of risk to them and to us? That's from Megan. They can, yeah. I mean, if you're vaccinated yourself, remember, uh, you're pretty protected against severe disease and illness. That's the great news. That's all. Thank God for that's holding up, by the way, against Delta. Vaccines give you over 90% protection from severe disease and hospitalisation. Yeah. If you're in a vulnerable group, though, let's say you've got an underlying condition, you might be immunosuppressed, you might have cancer, sadly, you know, you may be a bit more careful with that when people aren't vaccinated because they may mm. infect you and it can break through into those people, you know. So maybe in that case, you might be slightly more cautious. But overall... Yeah. Now, you, you'd be safe yourself if you're a double vaccinated and you're in good health. What about the anti-vaxxers? I mean, could we as doubly vaccinated people be bringing COVID into their homes in our noses, for example, and shedding some virus and, and, you know, they're not vaccinated? Well, especially with Delta, because we know that that can grow in the noses of people who are vaccinated. There's a 50% decrease risk of that, by the way, but still people go walking around carrying the virus. So you're right, the people who are unvaccinated will be at risk, I suppose, from the person who's vaccinated. They, They may be the ones then that would be cautious. Uh, Can you ask, Luke, if there's been a review or update on the incubation and isolation periods when you were exposed to the... The, the virus. There has with Delta. And again, Pat, as ever, this is science by the day, isn't it, in a way? We're looking at this every single day almost. And there's some evidence now that it's shortened with Delta. So in other words, it gets into your body, it grows very quickly, remember, and then you start to get sick more quickly and then you're infectious more quickly than you would be with the Alpha, which takes a few days to develop in terms of you being infectious because the virus takes a bit longer to grow, you know. So everything's got shortened with Delta and that means it spreads much more rapidly than among people is the key thing. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, being isolated? Do you have to isolate for longer or shorter or the same? Same. At the just to be on the safe side, they're saying keep it the same period, you know, just, just to make sure. Um, can you ask Luke if he's heard about the discovery of the gateway of how the virus gets into our cells and what that means for vaccines. Well, that, that's this ACE2. This, this, we know a lot about that at this stage because we know this thing called ACE2 is the thing the spike sticks into. And then I think we discussed last week how there's a, another protease eclipses it then and then it gets in fully, you know. So we know that's what the gateway is in effect. So we know a lot about the, the moving parts of the lock, if you will. So, th- so the virus has its key, sticks in, the lock opens. And that lock now is really well characterised and is being targeted, of course, by various companies as well. Um, Given the Cabinet is expected to sign off on further reopening at the end of this week, could you ask Luke what additional measures he'd put in place to ensure safety of the public at large, even though quite a few people have been vaccinated, there is a cohort which remains unvaccinated and thereby vulnerable and capable of transmitting the variant and any others might come. The current policy seems to reopen and hope for the best with uh, no additional measures uh, such as antigen testing see what happened at Christmas? Yeah, it's a, big, it's a huge question, Pat, isn't it? And it's slightly beyond my pay grade to answer it, to be honest. But I think um, what I would say is this. I mean, clearly, yeah, I mean, the Delta's out there. That's changed everything, really. So we need to be a little bit careful. But we have to start reopening, but we all agree with that now, don't we? You know, my former colleague, Paul Moyner, was saying this, and I agree with him 100%. We need to get back towards things. But clearly, we observe certain things, like crowds, and we have to wear masks indoors still, you see. And then antigen testing is a key weapon. They'll still be in place for the foreseeable future, sadly. 
Mm. What did you make of the scenes at Crow Park? We will be talking about those later on. The good and the bad, uh, you know, poor Cork and the good is Limerick, but the the ugly is the lack of mask wearing. Well, I'm hoping they're all vaccinated, Pat, to be honest. Let's hope there was a high, now we know there's a high level of vaccination. Remember, it's a, what is it, 85% now of adults are, mm. are fully vaccinated. So let's assume there's 85% coverage in that crowd and that's a big benefit, basically, you know, but it, it, it was still slightly unnerving to see those scenes, I must be said. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article yesterday, says another listener, about whether boosters should be used on the general population, uh, excepting the, the vulnerable will be done. The argument was that people who aren't at risk would be better off being exposed to the virus and building a natural immunity. What yep, do you think? That, that's a reasonable... Remember, your immune system is a fantastic thing. If you pick up an infection, you will develop immunity against that virus, you see. And now vaccines are better at, at creating this protection, by the way, but still natural immunity is a good thing, obviously, you know. Um, I, I think the view would be that we give the surplus away. Remember the old argument we said before, boosters to the vulnerable and the older people. The other people don't really need a booster at the moment. Give that away to developing countries and then come back to them next, basically. That, that would be the more the view that the WHO has, which I would agree with. All right, Luca, thank you very much for that. Luca O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Music.